Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today or just want to find out more about the ministries of First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org. Did you have a nickname growing up? A nickname? It wasn't your real name, it was your nickname. I want to I want to ask you to dare to do something, and I know we're socially distanced, but maybe whisper that nickname to your neighbor so they'll get to know you by your nickname. Are you whispering? I hear whispers. Mine was Bozo. Yeah, the, the clown, my older stepsisters gave me this nickname, and I can tell you right now, I didn't have bright red hair. I didn't even have a clown's disposition, but yet my nickname was Bozo. Do any of you remember Bozo? That's a long time ago. That, that dates me, doesn't it? My older stepsisters, both of my stepsisters are deceased. So uh, they, they were kind and gave my younger sister a nickname too. Her name wasn't Bozo, it was Clarabelle. <laughs> no, no, excuse me, it, wasn't, it was olive oil, olive oil, that's what it was. Because she was really skinny and little, just like the little cartoon, olive oil was her nickname. Will you stand for the reading of the gospel? Mark chapter 3 tells this story. And the crowd came together again so that they could not even eat. When Jesus' family heard it, they went out to restrain him, for people were saying, he has gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem says, He has Beelzebul, and by the ruler of the demons he casts out demons. And he called them to him and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then indeed the house can be truly, can be plundered. Truly, I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said about Jesus, he has an unclean spirit. Then Jesus' mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him, 
A crowd was sitting around Jesus and they said to him, your mother and sisters are outside asking for you. And Jesus replied, who are my brother, my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around Jesus, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, for this bozo and all the other bozos in the crowd, I think maybe I need to explain myself. Listen to what the scripture says just a few verses before we read this passage from the gospel that is the lectionary gospel for this week. It starts with that with verse 13, just a few verses earlier. Jesus went up the mountain and called to him those whom he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, to be with him and to be sent out to proclaim the message and to have authority to cast out demons. So Jesus appointed the twelve. Simon, to whom Jesus gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. And Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, and Simon the Can uh, Cananean and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus. Jesus gave the disciples nicknames. Did you catch that? I think it's, I don't know, friends, I, I think it's, I think it's kind of touching. A disciple will elbow another disciple and say, what's he calling you? He's calling me Bozo. What's he calling you? Oh, Simon says, he calls me Peter. Peter. Yeah, the rock. That's me. There they go, traipsing, I suppose, all over Galilee, following Jesus, learning from Jesus all they can, learning about preaching and teaching and healing the sick and comforting the anxious and the wearied. A lot of work being a disciple. But in the in-between time, you know that in-between time, apparently Mark observes something and tells us about it. In that in-between time, they've been watching each other very carefully, picking up, I guess, on this or that little quirk or behavior, listening closely. They must have noticed this or that little nuance about Jesus and about each other, for they're just getting to know each other. That one nickname, of course, you know very well was Simon's. He's at the top of the list. Peter's my new name. James and John 
who seem to never, ever, ever, ever get away from being known as the sons of Zebedee. Yes, Zebedee. Zebedee's boys. Yes. The two boys who ran off and left a big hole in the Zebedee business. Zebedee's boys. Like they could never forget it. And Jesus did almost the same thing with Alpheus' boy, James. Perhaps, perhaps that was just to identify him as being different from the other James, Zebedee's boys. Maybe to give him his own unique identity and style. He calls him James, son of Alpheus. Sounds good, doesn't it? That's nice. And then surely, surely it was just for laughs, don't you think? He calls these two sons of thunder, Boanerges. That's what he does. Maybe it was for laughs. Maybe it was just because they were just so dadgum loud. You can hear those two men all over when they raised their voice. It sounded to some like thunder. So Jesus said, you're the th sons of thunder, Boanerges. Ah, I like that story about Jesus. And I like the fact that he calls us by name. And I like the fact that he even gives the disciples nicknames. But I have to tell you that all the time, this nice sort of bonding is going on. All the while, the disciples are getting, like family, sporting their new nicknames. Far less pleasant things were going on back home. At least in Jesus' family of origin. Far less pleasant. Not many talk about it. Mark barely mentions it at all, but when he does, I think it's even painful to hear, let alone to imagine what it might have felt like. Here's what he says, and I read again in the New International Version, which relies heavily on the King James Version. Here's how it's translated. When Jesus' family heard about this, they came to take charge of him, for they said, he is going out of his mind. That's pretty strong language, friends. To say of your own brother, to say of your own son, he is going out of his mind. Pretty, pretty harsh evaluation from his family who have come to take him away as if he needed to be tied up somehow in a straitjacket and hauled off to some hidden spot where no one will notice him anymore. Oh, families can do pretty harsh things when it comes to silencing other family members. Yes, 
This entire episode prompts now an even wider audience to somehow feel like that they have the right to get involved. Those outside Jesus' family who have come up to Capernaum from Nazareth some 20 miles away. And did you notice how Mark subtly tells the story and says, look back on your bulletin and see what it says there, they went home. But by home, they mean what? Capernaum? Simon Peter's home. Capernaum? I suppose that's what they mean. Capernaum, where Simon Peter's mother-in-law lives with them, happy to have had Jesus' soothing hand placed upon her feverish brow and thankful for his healing touch. And perhaps from that day forward, Simon Peter's home in Capernaum felt more like home than his real home back in Nazareth. But in any case, in any case, Jesus' family is outside the door, outside Simon Peter's door, having made a long 20-mile trip over from Nazareth, and they're ready to take him away. <laughs> oh, the religious leaders can't help but notice what surely must have been a very embarrassing moment. And so the religious leaders do what religious leaders do best. They start pontificating. They start pontificating and carrying on about why this preacher, teacher, healer, son of a carpenter from Nazareth is making such noise and such a commotion. I doubt seriously, friend, that they are one bit concerned in repairing the family breach that must have been occurring over Jesus' newfound career choice as a prophet and a teacher, and a healer, instead of a carpenter. And instead, the religious leaders seem to be using the family's pain and embarrassment to further drive home the point that they've wanted to be making for months and months now, and that is this. This is their point. Jesus of Nazareth must be silenced. And like always, you can tell a lot by body language, can't you? You can tell a whole lot by body language. There they are, Mike, Mark writes, standing where? Outside the door, and they send word to Jesus inside the house that they're ready to take him home. Granted, there is a crowd gathered around. Mark has told us that earlier. A large crowd gathered so large that Jesus and the twelve can't even get a chance to eat. Well, you might have thought that being actual family members who were waiting outside the door and all of that, that they could have been family members. You know, they could have elbowed their way up through this vast crowd, cleared their throats and said, you know, we're Jesus' brother and this is his mother. Let us through, please. And then they could have, you would think, have whispered something ever so kindly and carefully into Jesus' ear where no one else could hear. You might have thought that they might have even at least been able to catch Jesus' eye 
and wink at him and wave and motion that they wanted to go out on the porch and talk about something privately just for a minute. You might have thought that, but no. <laughs> no. That's not the way it happened at all. They sent word by someone else that your mother and your brothers are ready to take you home, Jesus. All in the family. All that nastiness. All that hurt. All that pain. On public display for everyone to see. Clearly seems that while one part of Jesus' life is, is welcoming others and doing so well like becoming family, another part of Jesus' life, his birth family, seems to be unraveling every second. Do you think, for instance, that some of his family members, maybe his younger brothers in particular, maybe they resented Jesus just taking off for places unknown, leaving poor mother to run the carpenter shop all by herself when by all accounts it's supposed to be the eldest job to do that but no he's nowhere to be found so the other younger brothers of Jesus have to do it I have had more than one conversation in my ministry with those who find following Jesus and being true to your heart's calling has ripped their family apart. A preacher from Rome, Georgia, writes this in the upper room that I want to share with you. The earliest Christians were a misunderstood group, often estranged from family and friends as a result of following Jesus. And the choice of following Jesus meant leaving behind the people they once shared homes with. But as Jesus promised elsewhere, living for him often means giving up former ties. And it's painful. It's painful sometimes. For sure, it seems to rip your heart out. But something else happens that can never be predicted or even anticipated. Something else happens. The blessed hope that Jesus gives when he says to these groups of people who essentially are strangers, you're my family now. You're my family now. Whoever does the will of the Heavenly Father, you're my family because the waters of baptism can seem thicker than the blood of family. Many of us find it hard to imagine church or any Christian fellowship being stronger or healthier or life-giving, more life-giving than our families of origin. But in certain situations, and I could recount to you dozens of situations, and so could you, in certain situations, Christian fellowship is what sustains life and faith and hope for those who somehow feel ignored, 
or unloved or persecuted or cast out, even from their own homes, this is a place where that welcome abounds. Indeed, for many Christians, the water of baptism is thicker than the blood of family, and it is God's grace that makes it so. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks once again for joining us on The Gathering Podcast. Grace and peace, y'all. 